must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams, being in teams, leading teams, running teams, generally making the most out of your team. Uh, I am Mark Johnson. I am a performance teacher and a performance maker, and I'm joined, as always, by my partner in pod, Sean Gallagher. Sean is a sports coach. Hello, Sean. Hi, Mark. How have you been doing this week? Yeah, good. Mark just set, set up a joke there. Then went into the podcast, which made me laugh and was very unprofessional. How are you doing this week? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. What's been keeping you busy? Continuing to try and find some cool and interesting guests for our listeners, um, which is going well. So hopefully we will be able to make it to the end of season two, um, which will be great um but yeah some topical stuff this week um obviously it's been i think it's been a couple of weeks now if if i'm not mistaken but the whole washington uh formerly well used to be known as the the washington football team yeah um yeah just on their kind of changing their name which i think is a massive thing like for an organization for a fan base for the history of the team and and that kind of nickname is quite big. The nicknames in NFL and American sport are quite big cultural kind of things. And it's how teams yeah. are known most of the time. So, I mean... So you're talking about how for anyone not in the US or not following the news, although this feels like global news. Oh, definitely, um, yeah. The NFL, the NFL's hitting a lot of headlines at the moment. Uh, Washington have committed to changing their name from one that was considered racist against Native American people. And uh, they had chosen a bunch of names and had whittled it down. And I think some uh, clever slash money-grubbing person had, knowing that this time was coming, trademarked a whole bunch of the mascot names or nicknames oh really so the red wolves and the red birds and uh, I think the red wings been, wizards was up there i think but yeah so they they went through a whole process uh, and there are a number of of names that were in contention and someone had gone and trademarked a lot of them so there became uh, an argument so they are currently without nickname they're the washington football team and it does speak a lot about team culture because I mean, you were saying when we were talking about it off mic, you know, maybe a lot of it comes down to money. The sponsor of the field, the sponsor of the sports kit, both threatened to withdraw finance. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But but I think that for years there have been campaigns from sort of Native Americans. Um, yeah, since since the, uh, since you, the you, 70s. You know, Yes, to, to kind of to kind of change the name. So it's just crazy to me that you can have this group of people campaigning, you know, year after year after year to change a name, and then the money men and women come along who have the naming rights to the stadium or whatever and say, Oh no, we want this change. This isn't great for our marketing and for our branding. And I just think it's a lesson to be learned that moving forward these big companies, if they become more conscious, then more things like this will happen. And I 
think it's for obviously it's for the good but it just goes to show you that money talks you know absolutely that puts um something at the front of my mind at the moment apart from the fact that it is a huge statement about culture and i think that a lot of the the team cultures uh are being exposed at the moment as a result of it, both whether how how they're responding to to these changes, but also immediately Washington, who are mired in it at the moment. Uh, this story was followed by uh, a fairly large Washington Post article about uh, sexual harassment from a number of female staff and female journalists who cover the the, the Washington football team, and that's been echoed around the place. So that's coming out as well. And also how the teams are responding to COVID. The, we're at a point in the NFL calendar. Uh, and yet, sorry to everyone that NFL is the only sport I can speak on. <laughs> um, we're at a point in the NFL calendar where organized team activities and training camps are about to kick in. Yeah, And the teams are going through that process of how do we how do we bring players back in? And of course, the NFL has a really, really strong players union, the uh, NFLPA, that are currently in negotiation with these teams about what's important to them. Like how do are we these return? players more important than the money? How yeah. do we get back to it and satisfy everyone? Yeah. And you were saying whether like the money's going to talk, like at the moment, it feels like that money is talking in the negative direction. So that's going to be an interesting to see. They've already talked about removing preseason games and they, you know, ex- moving, sh- sh- shunting the season forward, yeah. moving the Super Bowl, that kind of thing. Well, the NBA, but the NBA is in our Disneyland at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so they're uh, they're playing uh, b-ball with uh, Mickey Mouse and the gang. Um, so that's going to be interesting in in itself. But but there, there is but it a- is interesting for me to watch how teams are how we're we're talking not just about the team on the field playing the sport now, but how these organisations are working and showing what they value. You know, we talk about culture a lot and how that impacts what happens on the field. This is where we learn what that culture is. And so watching uh, and listening to the statements being made about what their values are and how that's being exposed by all of this stuff going on in the world is a really, really interesting, an interesting magnifying glasses on it at the moment. Yeah. I don't know if you, yeah. if you feel that way too. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, the, the Washington example um, speaks to the kind of nat- Native Americans, but, you know, just the whole kind of Black Lives Matter campaign as well. Um, mm. You know, the, if you look at the percentage of sort of black American footballers in the NFL is a, is quite a large proportion yes, of players. 80, 80 odd percent. 80 yeah. odd percent. And so if, if they don't feel represented within the NFL or within their team, yeah. you know, that's not really a good place to be in, you know, in the same way that if you walk into your nine to five job in an office and you don't feel comfortable in that environment and you don't feel seen or yeah. heard and you don't feel as though you're represented, it would have just the same impact on you probably, you know? So, And it is important to recognize that that statement, the negative statement is what was made when Colin Kaepernick as uh, San Francisco 49er knelt during the national anthem, a, a statement he was making at the time about the same issue 
and that was responded to in such a way that he was called out, other players were called out. He was essentially essentially blackballed and oh, yeah, he was ostracized uh, kept out of the league yeah. to, the, to the degree that the NFL settled a lawsuit with him, effectively confirming that there was some kind of collusion to make sure that he didn't play again, that all of the stuff that he was standing for, the NFL has previously said, isn't important to us. No, exactly. And so to see them making the, the opposite and positive statement... Yeah, you could argue that some of it's disingenuous, but hopefully is is representative of genuine change in these kind of big organizations and 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 big systems that that show us that it's working. Yeah. You know, there's always the argument that if a bunch of players just walked out, you know, they're all rich enough to kind of go on to pastures new in in most cases. Um, even the Premier League, NBA, NFL, you know, players could retire and players could get, you know, a bunch of them together and say, guys, we're, <laughs> we're going to hang our helmets up here. We do not believe in this organization and we do not feel represented and we're going to walk away. And as I said, gone to pastures new, set up their own thing. That would be a real harmful thing to the league because it will put people out of pocket because if we don't have the top athletes in these leagues, people aren't going to watch it. And you can tell now watching a Premier League game with no one in the crowd is such a poor viewing experience. You know, so fans are key, the players are key. And if these big organizations aren't listening to them and what they value, then... I think it's only going to be detrimental to to the sports. And so I do think that change definitely needs to be needs to be made. But I think I think we've gone very big there, big scale and topical, but it can also be filtered down all the way to, as I said, to to your team. It's something that you have to remember ultimately, yeah, ultimately this is stuff between players and coaches and players and players and you know, coaches and management that when it does get affected, it's affected person to person. That's where the importance of culture comes in. Uh, on that, it's been a long intro. We're going to drop into part two of Michael Moore. I hope you enjoyed part one. He was just getting his stride on talking about these seven elements to his pursuit of excellence. We are going to listen to him finish that off. Uh, it's another great one. He gets into some really interesting areas with it. So let's jump to that right now. So if we go into one of the other elements, which is competence. So, um, and I don't mean confidence. You're walking, your players are walking around in white shorts with flip-flops, flip-flops yeah. on and sunglasses and the, the beats on. That's not the competence you're looking for. That's That's completely different. That, that's me. That's me on holiday. <laughs> you don't yeah, want that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so if I was to ask you, like you lads, in what's competence in your teams? What would you see as competence? So for mm. me, it's about holding a belief mm. that this aim that we have is achievable. That I have the belief that we can you know, walk into mm. a performance and smash it or walk into a game and mm. win it. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah, I, th I think for me as well, you know, I've had, in the past, I've had a lot of, um, I've had a lot of self-talk 
uh, amongst players on the coach on the way to a game. You know, we've not beaten these boys. Oh, they've got a really good striker. Oh, I'm not sure about this today. You know, you know, and uh, and and those really real negative thoughts before they've even walked onto the pitch. And so I think for me, confidence is long before the you know the whistle has been blown. I think it's all in the preparation. It's believing in training that you're good enough. It's believing on the coach that you're good enough, and then mm. be- believing in the coach as well and the players around you. You know what it's like. You know a team mm. has a weak link, and everyone kind of you know everyone sees that weak link as a reason maybe you didn't win the game. You've got a bad goalkeeper or something like that. And and what you're looking for is that confidence in every single player that I can trust you next to me. I can trust my striker to score the goals. Right. You know, and when you have that, it's so powerful that you come off mm. the, te- the team coach and you've won the game. You know, a big thing for me is a warm-up. I I can see whether my team's up for it or not in a Mm. warm-up. You know, and if they're looking across from them and they go, oof, they're a bit big. Oh, he's a big lad. And all of that self-doubt, negative talk, you're onto a losing thing. Whereas if you turn up, put a decent warm-up in, everyone's looking confident, everyone's looking energized, you're up for it, everyone's loose, everyone's chatting. For me, that then I'm confident going into that game. That's it. I don't need to say anymore, lads. You've hit on the, on the points there. <laughs> yes. And for me, it is. It's, it's definitely belief and trust. They're the two words yeah. for confidence. As I said, it's not someone walking in in the white runners and the skinny jeans and the, and the sunglasses. That's <laughs> not confidence. It's belief and trust. And... And, and Mark said it there, and, and then Sean, you said about trust. Belief for me, belief in yourself as a player, they yeah. need to feel that they believe in themselves. And then they need to look around the dressing room or they look at the staff that I believe in the team, my coaching team. There's no more, so we've all been in and around the table, or we've been put into a group, yeah. you know, to work on a task. And you look at the, the group you're in, and you've taught two things. We're onto a winner here, or I'm not being put in the wrong group. Yeah. You know, so you've yeah. no belief. Yeah. And that is one of the toughest things to overcome. Yeah. Where you know that there are people looking at one yeah. of the group members or one of the players and going, I've you know, I've never seen them be the player I I think I am. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Therefore they're not they're not getting my respect yes, or my trust. Yeah. In that, and it's the same as you were saying with the with the focus. In that undeliberate way, that autopilot mm-hmm. way, the trust has to be so inbuilt, mm-hmm. so embodied that I don't have to think about whether or not I trust mm-hmm. someone on the pitch because it's you know I don't have to second mm-hmm. guess whether I'm passing to someone or in a, in a I'm trying to think of a performance equivalent, but. Oftentimes it's the actor looks at the other actor and is seeing and considering them as the actor rather than playing with mm. them as the character. Mm. And it's like, you don't want to be, you, you don't want the off the pitch yeah. vibe to be on exactly. the pitch. You don't want the, mm. the personal stuff to be in the performance. Mm. And we'll come to that. We would, that that's, a, that's in one of these mm. um, elements. I think as well is that there's that, that there's that really quiet confidence where 
You exude confidence in your performance, not necessarily everything around it. You know, like you said, the flashiness, being the biggest talker, mm-hmm. being the loudest person in the dressing room. There's very good examples, both, you know, at the elite level, uh, but also at grassroots. You know, I've come across players. I had a center mid this year um, at, at the school team. You know, the boy never really opened his mouth, but every yeah. single boy in that team respected him and trusted mm-hmm. in him because every game he gave 100%. Yeah, and every game he had a seven out of ten performance. You know, with sometimes mm. it being eight, nine, or ten. You know, yeah. man of the match performances, and so every time they walked onto the pitch with him, it made them confident. You know, but yeah. he didn't have to be loud. And I think that's where with young players we have to remember that they need to, like you said, they need to be in control of their own performance, and it needs to be at the very front of their mind that they're trying to be better every day. Because even if they're not the most confident and are not the most sociable, what they do on that pitch will will kind of dictate how they're seen by their teammates. Of course, yeah, and uh, and it's the trust and belief. So, so you have to. You identify that that player's doing that. You have to remind each player why you believe in them, why you should believe in yourself, you yeah. know. And then you have to remind the team that there's belief within the team, you know. So how do you do that? You recall success and feelings. So throughout the season, mm. we I would recall moments that you were good, Mark was good, you know. And that could be done on a one-on-one basis. It doesn't have to be a presentation on Sean because then you're yeah. having a problem. Sean the golden boy yeah. you know so then you have sounds about right yeah yeah, yeah. but then you recall <laughs> the team success and then ask them the simple question how does that feel yeah and he said it feels great he says well if you want that feeling what do you have to do you need to work hard and keep working hard to get that um, and that's it and then that's back to emotion so you're controlling through emotion a good feeling we all do stuff that gives us a good feeling and we continue to do that or find that. Um, so an example of building confidence for me, what I've done in the past is just simple, depending on the player, and I've done it with adults, I just define the two words. What is trust and what is belief? What, what do them words mean? Because your understanding of belief and trust is completely different, you know, and the, and uh, to, to theirs. So I get them to write it down and and then I also just get them, when they write it down, I let them write down these definitions and they keep for themselves. It's a little mental notebook yeah. and they also give it into a team file that is confidential. So now I'm starting to get yeah. more insight into these players because confidence, if they think confidence is the white jeans and the, the snapback and the beats and all of that, then you really have to walk closely with that player you know yeah it's something we've encountered where with some of the young people that we've worked with Mm. where you'll ask them what you know what is what does success look like what are you aiming for out of this and they will give uh a result they'll say like money I want to like when I'm rich I'll know I'm successful but none of that helps you understand what it takes Mm. to achieve that it's not connected to emotion. Mm. Like, what is it you're wanting to buy with yeah. the money? What's the yeah. feeling yeah. that you yeah. want to get yeah. that, that embeds it more? Because you know, like, I could back up a, I could back up a Securicle van 
and you know dump a million quid on anybody's doorstep and it doesn't change whether or not they feel successful exactly yeah so but writing it down and reading it and then keeping it you know you're building trust because you have something belong to them and and vice versa you know and then the trust is that that information isn't put out into the team you know and so if we focus then move into one of the uh, other elements positive images and this maybe it happens a lot in your work um, Mark you know where a lot mm. of imagery maybe I'm wrong um, but basically positive images for me in, in football is I'm getting my players or the staff to use their imagination that's it yeah they must use their imagination they're not just doing the same thing all the time going on Google getting training sessions blah, blah, blah and taking someone else's imagination. They must use their own yeah. imagination and and they must then rehearse that imagination and they must think. So it's imagination for me is rehearsal and thinking. So think of the idea, yeah. rehearse it. And what yeah. is that in football? Are you are you rehearsing tactical moments? Are you rehearsing in your mind that feeling of success? you know, and then how did you get that? So these are all done through um, speaking to, to the players, you know, it, 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 it's 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 conversation. Yeah. There's no, yeah. there's no massive secret of how to get to this. Communication is talking to people. And this is, this is straight up the nature of the kind of life coaching mm. or performance coaching that, you know, that a business person would get in the same mm. way. Uh, what does success look like what does it feel mm. like? How do you how do you experience it? And then can we kind of hit rewind on that on that video of that feeling mm. and see what it took to get there? Exactly. Yeah. So you have to find and create inspiration in your imagination. So find it mm. or create it, and that will lead to positive images. Have you got a good example? of you know where you've been sat around a room uh with, with your other coaching staff yeah. at, at any environment uh in your experience and someone has really just shot something out of the blue and you've gone wow that's not something that any of us would have thought of but let's give that a try or let's give that a go could be tactical could be outside of that could be a sociable thing with the team could be a mental thing that you worked on with the players is there anything that pops up an, ex- an example um would be if you're working on positive images and, and visualization in technical, technical or tactical context, yeah. we do sessions pressure and cover. You're pressing the ball, I'm covering the ball, but there's no football in it. Right. You know, yeah. so the coach is like an orchestrator. He, he's, just, yeah. he's just pointing direction, you're pressing, you're covering. So now the ball is removed and now they have to visualize yeah. Game. And I, I do that from the goalkeeper passing the ball out to the full back, into the midfield, to the winger, to an overhead kick. And there's no goal, there's no football. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a funny image in my head. Someone doing it's a bicycle great, kick yeah. with no football. The, 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 the players love it. The players yeah. love it. Yeah. What's amazing about it for me is. Um, and I, I believe massively in like literally with technique, visualizing it going perfectly because it's the same mechanism as doing our brain is learning a pattern of action that 
if we can imagine it from the outside in, like we're teaching our body sure. what it needs to do when it happens. Mm-hmm. And so th- whereas if we're doing it in real life, it's, it's unlikely that we're going to be able to practice it perfectly from the first go. Mm-hmm. We will always be able to practice it perfectly from the first visualization. And that's a process that starts teaching your body how it's going to respond in that moment. I know that it's not new as far as sports science course, goes, yeah. but it, it struck me as one of the most profound, uh, I think I was talking, uh, reading about a hurdler um, doing it. And it's it's really, really difficult to practice hurdling without hurdling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can visualize the hell out of a perfect run. Of course. And that's training your body to act on impulse, act on instinct when it comes down to doing those actual runs. And that's it. It goes back to um, positive image, imagination, thinking and rehearsing in your mind. Mm. And it's not, as you said, it's been done a long, long time. It's, it's not, it's not new because I know when I was eight years of age and I got a new bike for Christmas, and it was ten o'clock that night. I was visualizing while I was in bed, me on that bike tomorrow morning going as fast <laughs> as I can. Yeah. And it's it's the same thing, you know. So yeah, um, and it is fun. You can make it fun, and the best way to learn. And one of the ways is fun, you know? Yeah. Mm. How do you introduce positive images to a young player that hasn't had success? Yeah. So now you can't recall on success. So the angle that I, what I came up with was, then I, I told him to identify someone else that has had success or a team. You know, they won the league. Well, go through the league and think about it and watch it. What do they do consistently to win the league or to become that better player? So, you know, it's positive images, not of rehearsing, but a positive image going into your mind to try and be better. Of, 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 of aim, of yeah. goal, goal yeah. you know? So there's different, different ways of looking at it, you know? I'd, I'd, I've done that before with, a, not with a goal, but with more specific uh, sort of positional and tactical things <clears> where... Like t- t- taking free yeah, kicks. Where I yeah, where se- I would send... I was working with a, a grassroots under-11 team and, you know specific players would play in different areas, you know, right back, center, mid place. And I would find YouTube just clips, just two minute clips of their performance um, of, you know, a right back uh, playing just two minute clips of them. There's loads of highlights on YouTube and send it individually to players. And they would use that as a visualization because sometimes exactly. in, an hour, in an hour training session on a Saturday, it's very difficult to spend that one-to-one time with a right back who's trying to, you know, develop at under a Evans, he's trying to find his way. He's trying to find his position, and so being and and they're not watching ninety game uh, ninety minute games of football. That's another big part of this as well. I think youth players are not watching as much football as maybe they used to. Everything now is a highlights reel, so we have to maybe work with that, and we have to show them those snippets of good stuff that we want to see, and then hopefully they visualize it, come back to training the next week, and maybe try that that cross from Trent Alexander Arnold um, or that cross. You know, yeah, and you have to be also careful in this element here because positive images could be you ask players to go and look at positive images to create to stimulate something to try and become that mm. and then you, you you have a term in a meeting was okay and I mean what did you what positive image did you come up with where do you want to see yourself next of all they go on Instagram and they pull out a picture of 
this Greek god um, that can play football. Yeah. Is it achievable or is it actually harming them more? Yeah. Yeah. Or is exactly. it making a better? So you have to you have to manage that. So you, you're accountable for these training methods that you have to then manage them. Definitely. You, know? you do have to so, be careful for sure, yeah. Yeah, because how many we've all looked in the mirror. Um, we do we do positive images every day. We're looking in the mirror, I'm, I'm gonna get that six pack. <laughs> you know, but you can see it in your mind. Yeah. But are you actually I, I, I'm lucky Gender. enough. I'm lucky enough to ha- to have an eight pack, Ma- uh, Michael. So it's, uh-huh, uh, okay. it's it's an easier one for me. You're lucky enough that this is an audio. <laughs> yeah, <podcast. it's>, yeah. <laughs> this is why it's not on YouTube, Michael. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, positive images again. You, you can do a lot of talking and a lot of work on that because there's so many different elements of it: the thinking, to the imagination, to the rehearsing of it. You know, yeah. is it tactical? Is it personal? images and um, so we're getting there we have um, our mental readiness distraction control and ongoing learning okay so if we look at um, mental readiness this is massive for me and again we're just we could talk about this all day with, and certainly if we were setting goals and all that this is something that me and my staff will talk about it's not always about how are we going to score a goal you must identify and you must follow a path that brings out the best in you. What is your path? Then if you have a team, you may have 24, 24 paths within that team. And they must, does that make sense that you, mental readiness, you follow a path that brings out the best for you. But what is that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, well, you have to plan a path out. You have to lay the foundation. Yeah. You have to prepare it then. So you have the plan and then you, you need to put these little, some say superstitions or whatever. You need to have things in place that make you mentally ready for the performance. You know, and that can be anything. Yeah. Then you evaluate, did it work, did it not work? Yeah. For me, I, I think you're continuously looking for new discoveries to develop your that path to get mentally ready because something can then become yeah. just the same thing. It's not working now. So you have to find other ways to be mentally ready. So yeah. everyone's different. I think, I think about the... Yeah, I think about the the NFL mm. players. Uh, one of the one of the common uh, kind of bits of pre-game footage mm. you see is the them getting off the yeah. bus. And like co- coaches... Ha, will have insisted that they are dressed in a yeah. certain way. So it's a little, it, it, it occasionally feels like a fashion mm. show, but they're all suited. Yeah. It's one of those things that starts that preparation. Mm. I'm going to get into my game day clothes on the bus. Then you see they are all wearing the mm. beats or the, the headphones with, you know, their pregame music. Yeah. And it's all part of these, you know, it's not going to change their tactics but it is going to put them in a certain zone. Yeah, that space. Yeah, not 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 superstitiously, mm. but almost like Pavlovian. It's just the further down this route of things that I do the same every time, the more ready I get until by the time I put my helmet on and step out, boom, I'm I'm the only place I am is in the yeah. game. I think I think as well the I think the N- NBA players, the basketball players, they they seem so far removed from say our our premiership 
players, you know, premiership players are either suited or they're in their track suits. And it's all very uniformed apart from maybe some, some different headphones and some of them having a Louis Vuitton wash bag and another person having a Gucci wash mm-hmm. bag. But in mm-hmm. the NBA, they, they seem to come in by themselves. They don't necessarily come in as a team. So they may even drive themselves to the, to the facility. And I see so many times that now it is a fashion show where, you know, LeBron James will come through and he'll be wearing certain designer garments and people will pick up on that or they'll be wearing a political statement or they'll be just wearing a T-shirt saying, you know, game day or uh, let's get it. Just, but, but that's their mental preparation. And they seem more like performers you know, more like entertainers, sorry, but they, they are going out there ultimately to entertain the crowd. And so I think they, they, American sports is very much about narrative, about storyline, but they've really pushed that. And, you know, it doesn't make them worse at their game. You know, sometimes it makes them incredible, but it's interesting to see that mental readiness, say in the U S to what we have in the UK and maybe Ireland, where it's still very, uh, it feels still very quite, quite a stiff approach traditional yeah. approach to it and that's as a, as a as a manager or a coach that's where you have to sort of direct and give ideas of pathways of mental readiness is it relaxation is it allowing your player on on the bus to do a bit of gaming on the phone or uh, yeah, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that other coaches may say what are you doing if that's how he gets if that's his path to perform why would you? Why would you not allow that happen? It's, it, we see them music. Maybe read a book. Maybe they, maybe there's not confidence in the group for someone to read a book. So you have to create that. It's okay to read a book, lads. You know, and um, maybe it's for me. It's speak to the family. You know, have a chat with the family. Make sure everything's all right. But once they're all right, then I can go to war. You know, um, Michael. Yeah. When yeah. Michael, when you were, when when you were with, uh, if we take Shelbourne for for an yeah. example, where that's a very you know that that's the pinnacle of of uh, of sort of uh, club football in Ireland. You know, you said they were very successful. You worked with, I believe, the under under sixteens and eighteens. Under sixteens and eighteens. So you must have had those experiences where course, teenagers yeah. were trying to be teenagers and they were trying to find themselves. So what? what was your actual approach on the team coach? Because with me, I started very much with the same age groups at the school we work in now. And at the beginning, I didn't want headphones because I wanted mm. them more sociable. I wanted them talking to each other. I wanted them mm. discussing what they were going to do in the game. And very quickly, I realized that I was trying to manufacture something yeah. that wasn't true to what they wanted to do. Now, mm. I allow them to have their headphones. But what I do is if I have something to say, I turn around and I say, boys, listen up, headphones immediately go out, you listen to the instruction, and then off you go, crack on back to your headphones or whatever you want. So what approach did you take with that age group? Well, what I done was, um, with, yeah, with the under 16s and 18s. So in pre-season, when we were getting the bus and going to matches, I'd done nothing for the first three weeks. I watched what was happening. Okay. So important. Were they throwing bags of crisps at each other? Were they pouring cans of coke in each other's heads? Were yeah. you getting a breakfast roll across the <laughs> head and all that type of stuff? Yeah. Or were they, I was watching everything unfold, you know, and then I put a bit of order to it. A bit of order to the, to the, the journey, the mental journey and the actual physical journey to the match. But what I let was happen was I didn't do it until after a couple of matches. If that, I had to see 
does this work? Is this, yep. this journey going to win me matches? Yeah. And I allowed it with order, bit of law, law and order on the pitch or in the bus or, or whatever in the hotel. If we won matches, well, then I'd remind them, well done, boys. Your preparation today was excellent. Yeah. It doesn't have to be everyone sitting just looking at a TV, you know. But if we lost, part of the discussion was getting mentally ready and prepared for the game, lads. I'd go through from start to finish, from the end of the whistle to the few days before. And I would take responsibility to if there was tactical responsibilities and accountability that needed to be highlighted, I'd take that. But to answer your question, I observed how they carried on, put a bit of law and order on it, and if it worked, it stayed. When it didn't work, it yeah. was reviewed. Once no one was disrespecting think- and being mean or anything on the Right. Yeah. yeah, this feels like it ties into how you work with the team generally, but there is something about making uh, visible or making explicit this mm. stuff, that it's reminding them that this is a thing that we did that worked so that it's, it's no longer an accident. Mm. If we're striving for excellence, we need to take everything that is accidentally excellent Exactly. And keep it and take everything that's accidentally a mess and mm-hmm. get rid of it so that we have this map exactly. of the things we do that get us performing. And it's the recall of success. You know, yeah. you know, recalling a strategy or a plan that may happen as a mistake. You know? Yeah. But yeah. or a mistake, or maybe it just naturally you didn't plan it out, it just uh, an organic natural environment happened and prepared on the bus going and you need that now it doesn't have to be just one thing you can't just have them all relaxing it could be three things for me i may want to relax then play a little game and then i'm going to read a book so if we need to just discuss these things with them and then yeah. they write down and and then again the mental book as well they write it down so they can see it on pieces of paper their mental readiness yeah. card you know it's always the most frustrating thing for me about about performance uh and making theater and even even just mm. acting is that people who do it were always uh willing because of how they experienced it as audiences they were always willing to believe it might mm. be a magic trick yeah and that there's no so so i found myself gravitating towards those actor trainers and those uh methods that say they actually there's one of my favorites says there's no such thing as uh talent that talent if it's something is actually a a limitation to anyone who wants to get good at something because you're always potentially going to hold the belief that you either have or mm. lack something that would have made you good at this yeah, yeah. that you'll never mm. get because talent is 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 a magic trick yeah. is, is mm. you know is a fairy godmother showing up and tapping you on the head with a wand that says you're going to be a footballer or an Mm. actor and that actually what you need to focus the training on is things that you can do again and again and again and again Mm. and again what can you create as process and sometimes those things are accidents Mm. sometimes those are things that you just do but it's about making sure that you know that you're Mm. doing them so that you can do them again Mm. because the day that you forget to do them 
is the day that that you know you trip over on stage or uh, lose a match. Yeah, no, that, it's it's great having these um, that we, with the different backgrounds, you know, and that's why I, I'm always when I'm selecting the coaching staff is to have people with different experiences and different backgrounds, and I think mm. Mark the environment you work in. I can learn a lot from that, you know, and I'd love nothing better to sit there and see how rehearsals are done and the methods behind that. Cause that can, I can recommend a good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you can send that on to <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, it's great. So if we then move on to distraction control, this is interesting, yeah. you know, um, and in a nutshell is, Distraction control is to regain effective focus, quickly regaining and re-entering your best focus. You're in it, boom, you're out of it. How quick can you get back into it? Does it take you 30 seconds to get back into it or is it taking you a minute to get back into it? Depending on the level of the competition, three seconds and if you're not back in it, it's game over. So again, how do you work on distraction control? You have to identify what distracts the player's force. So it's, it's half time a distraction. So you're in momentum and then half time breaks the momentum. So do you go in and talk to the players and distract them? Or do you let you tell them, lads, we are in momentum. So you're keeping momentum in the dressing room, you know, you say, lads, keep that mindset, keep that rhythm of mind, get plenty of water, fuel up, and be ready. There's one or two just little bit of changes I want to make, but I don't want to break momentum. So you're reminding them of a key phrase all the time to avoid distraction. You know, because sometimes that performance, you know, if you're doing badly, say, can be the distraction exactly. that it becomes a it's its own its own kind of cycle of I can't be good because we've already yeah, been. Yeah, so then you have to it's in different team talk. Then if you're in momentum of good performance and then you're in momentum of bad performance, the distraction is massive. Then it's not just a, a conceding a goal or it's not just a minor setback. It consists. It's forty five minutes of back to the wall and distraction. Michael, just is, is, a, is a topical one at the moment uh, with the restart in the Premier League where we have the two, mm. we have the two water breaks. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people are calling those water breaks and a lot of them are calling them tactical breaks where coaches can get in players' ears and work on stuff. So again, they would be potentially seen as distractions. Yeah. Do you do you like do you like what they've done with this restart with the two water breaks for you as a coach? Do you want to see it eradicated ASAP? Where where, yeah. where do you stand on those? Well, it's definitely an opportunity for the coach to get tactical information and regroup without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. It um, affects the rhythm of the game, but it can also kill the, the rhythm of the game or make it faster when you return to the game. So where I stand on it is um, bringing football back to 45 minutes and then half times there. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, unless it's 100 degrees and you need it, you know, but I don't, I don't get it. It's, it's changing the game for sure. Mm. It's not the way football was played, you know, so why are we adding it in? But maybe we need to look more into it. So my answer to that is 
Don't back. do it and just go back to 45 minutes. Back, back to normal. Back to back normal. To normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, so distraction control, it can be external. It can be the opposition. Are they distracting me? You know, or is it internal? Is your own mind distracting you? Or is it your group, your dressing room distracting you? Um, and have you set this problem up to be a distraction? I guess family and family and friends as well, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Family and friends, when you start to get higher up, the kind Mm of, uh, especially when you're moving into the elite type of thing, or maybe you're on the periphery of the island kind of set up, you know, maybe people are in your ears uh, and things can get distracting in that way, I could imagine. Yeah, definitely. And so distraction control is all about finding a refocus plan. And Mm -hmm. what is that plan? Well, everyone has a different refocus plan. It could be images. It could be focus points to reconnect. You know, that a reminder to me, me that I got distracted now, but if I remain distracted because Gabriel Bale is running at me and I'm distracted, you know, that's a problem. So the, the refocus for me is Gareth Bale, nothing else. Mm. I got distracted. The referee was shouting at me. The Lions have made a bad decision. But I see Gareth Bale's face. That's a refocus point mm. to, get, to yeah. get back tuned in. Yeah. Is a distraction, Michael, a mistake to you as well? Just just so I'm clear. So let's say I'm a, I'm a 19-year-old. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting my debut. Um, and, you know, I miss a tackle. Salah goes past me. Yeah. You know, scores a goal. Okay, now it's 1-0. Is that... Yeah. Is that getting rid of that mistake in your head as a distraction as well? So that when we re uh, when we kick off again, I'm mm. now straight back into it and I improve on that on on that performance. Yeah, and that that, that one's uh, that takes a lot of managing. That scenario, there's a lot more to it than just a mistake. Yeah, One kids making his debut, you know. So there's pressures there. He's distracted with the audience. Yeah, there's a there's yeah. a. His first game is a distraction. Yeah. You know, yeah. Unless, unless he's there and he's in, his mind is in optimum level and he's just going for it and there's something magical happening. But if a young player, 18 day, you can see it's a goal, yeah, definitely let them know and give them the word. It's a setback. Yeah. So you have to prepare this. You're going to have a player coming in and you need to talk to him about distraction control because the whole game's going to be yeah. So it's a setback, you'd say. Shonda, your centre back, if they get through and you're directly involved in that goal, you wouldn't use the word you directly are the, mis- the problem, you let that happen. You go, mm. if you're involved in that goal coming through that zone, it's a setback, but you need to get back into focus. The game isn't about one scenario or three seconds, it's 90 minutes. And would you say, in your experience, international uh, and then in the League of Ireland, would you say, would you say that four young players coming through, is that one of the biggest things that needs to be worked on? And, and is that where experience becomes so important? Because in those early years, it is the fact that they'll hold on to the mistakes. Yeah, for sure. It definitely is. Uh, th- th- that age, is, it's very important because the distractions on the pitch and off the pitch. In some cases, there's more distractions mm. off the pitch that is mm. affecting them. You know, so the the environment has to give support. But if we're talking about real moments on the pitch, you know, yeah, you don't want them living with that. You know, so exactly. you have to protect and uh, make a safe environment 
or your players. Yeah. And that comes back to... It sounds like a lot of that, yeah, a lot of that happens before the... The yeah, distraction yeah, yeah. in how you how you treat the reflecting on setbacks, the coping with things going wrong and being able to accept those small things happening or even big things happening and move on from them. And that comes from how you've learned how to give and take feedback and that's in a, the past. And it does. You've identified this distraction control. But before that, that comes, um, Mark, in the commitment phase. You know, yeah. trust and belief. So, in a time of yeah. distraction, and which is the category, but the, there was a goal conceded. Does the player trust and believe in you that you're going to still trust in him? Because what he's feeling is it's me force match. They've come through me. Everyone, 40,000 people have seen the ball. Salah come flying through me. The talk is he's not good enough. But you're as a coach, you get your arm around him and say, Mohammed Salah, you're, you're welcome to the introduction of football. You yeah. know, I th- you know exactly. I think I think an, an elite club of people who have been uh, dunked on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think I think psychological safety is 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 probably exactly. a good way to to wrap to wrap up that. Uh, what, what we've just said there, that psychological safety yeah. of, of people feeling as though they can make mistakes and that they're going to get an arm around them, but also yeah. going to be given feedback that this is something that needs to be improved on. So It's massive. Yeah. Okay, so then if we look at ongoing learning, and that's basically mm-hmm. reflection, you know, self-reflection, team reflection, and project reflection as well. So it, it reflect what you've done well. That's that's what I always look at. Ask for the players. Reflect what you've done well and brought to the team. We love that about you. Why? Because you're happy and it's bringing success to the team. You know, and um, and don't just think about it. Write it out. Put it in your mental notebook of what you've done well for this team. And then I jokingly say, Yeah. Well, yeah. Bring our net mental notebook to your contract talks and say, Well, this is what I'm negotiating here. Look at all the good things I've done. You know, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. you know, exactly so, that, exactly. And then that. put targets, areas of improvement. So identify good things, but then areas of improvement. And I don't like to use yeah. the word weakness, but there's nothing wrong with the word weakness, but maybe just yeah. areas of improvement sounds a little bit more safer and better to players. Well, it gives you, it gives you a, um, it goes back to that sense of belief. If I describe something as a place where I can build, yeah. then then the em- the emphasis is on building. If I if I describe something as something I'm not good at, the emphasis is on the negative. So focusing on that improvement is good. I think. Do you do anything with the because very much when we're building ensemble, that trust and belief that we're trying to create comes from the group itself shouting out each mm. other. So we tend to we tend to do a lot of work around those reflections. Because it's because it's about audience mm-hmm. being you you won't have been able to see it, but when I was watching you, you did yes. this and yeah. it was and yeah. I and I yeah. dug it. Yeah, yeah. The coach the, must be logging that as well. And he must he yeah. must give that back as well. So yeah, you must be you must give I can imagine there's not many opportunities for the for the other players to necessarily see it because Exactly, you know, you can open it up and I've done it before and got them to write down um write down two good qualities about Mark. 
Mm. And uh, you have to set the tone in the environment there because sure. lads will start joking and making up all sorts. I'd say yeah. that just a serious four minutes. Write down three good qualities about Mark and everyone do it. And then yeah. I'll have a look at him, then we'll pass them on to Mark. And then he's gone away feeling good, you know, because now yeah. you're, you're, you're sharing something that may, players may not talk about. I think that can be flipped as well. And you can mm. say things, you know, areas of improvement for that player as well. I yeah. know we had uh, Cara McCartney on um, uh, a netball coach and she spoke about having that sit down about her own performance as a coach. Mm. So players were sitting there giving some honest feedback about her performance as a coach and about each other, you know, and so much can come from that. Mm. Um, so much learning can come from that reflection. So, yeah, I think it's a really important point. Yeah, so just to wrap up on, on ongoing learning, a good performer, he acknowledges their, their own good qualities, but he will also mm. accept that there is, has to be targets of improvement. So that, that's ongoing learning. Yeah. Know what you have yeah. and look to improve. That's it. Yeah. Um, what's yeah. your own? In many ways, it's, it's also about creating mm. or coaching people into having that curiosity or that interest in getting yeah, better. Yeah. Creating a culture that says it's, oh, it's important to, to want to expand beyond where I'm at, mm. whether that's in being good at sport or being interested in the world or being creative or whatever. Mm. No, that's definitely the culture. The word culture is massive. You have to, that has to, the culture must allow someone feels okay to want to know more, learn more, ask questions because we're not comfortable in asking questions and coming to you to look for support. Well, you're their point of guidance. You know, they, they can't come to you and say, I need to improve on this. How do you think? Or you turn around. What are you? Stop that, that nonsense. You know, it's how you manage and create that culture. So that's the seven elements that sort of it. Phenomenal. I was going to say, so we ask, we often ask, well, we yeah. ask every time actually now yeah. um, for people to talk about kind of coaching methods that they oh, have yeah. picked up from people who coach them. You've made that super clear mm -hmm. about what your co coaching methodology yeah. is. Um, so in terms of coaches make coaches, is there a person or a couple of people that, that really b became that influence that's led to kind of this practice, this process that you've got. Is there anyone you want to shout out as the as the architect yeah, of this? Yeah, for sure there is. Yeah, and, and I'm still learning. I'm picking up off people all the time, and I'm sure I can learn off you in the future from your environment. And I'm not joking there because I'm all about creativity. You know, you know, and learning in different ways. Oh no, I see well, that. The, yeah, the, the two people that have had massive influence on me and, and that I reflect to um, are two, two um, structures of the game, both the one the professional world and then one in the grassroots um, development world. The first one for me is Alex Ferguson. Okay, that's who I grew up seeing on TV and I, I would be watching him and what I always noticed and what I tend to do now is, is be in control. Alex Ferguson yeah. seemed to be in control all the time, on and off the pitch in press conferences. You know, he would lose, he'd show his emotion, but sometimes that was tactical and strategical emotion. You know, it wasn't just for the sake of it. So Alex Ferguson's for control and then identity. He gave yeah. an identity to Manchester United and to himself and his yeah. players. 
So whatever project you have, and if you're leading it, it must have your identity. And that's either a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, we've talked before about mm. that. His involvement with Manchester United being such, like feeling team before mm. player every time. That, that identity felt so mm. strong. Mm. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm super interested in, in your perspective of that coming directly from what he was doing there and how that's influenced yeah well his the, he had he had a number of identities the first identity was what did Manchester United reflect the world it was being on mm. on the top leading by example and and being super professional but how did he do that he, he yeah. had identities for the style of football he had an identity yeah. of the culture that he wanted out there you know um, yeah. And then he had to adapt to the identity of the business brand, you know. So yeah. there was a number of identities, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the overall um, thing was that Alex Ferguson would always use the word the romance of Manchester United. There was something romantic about them that got you thinking about um, the Busby Babes, you know, and, yeah. and so on. So he was always going back yeah. to the heritage and the traditions. He's reminding yep. old identity and new identity. Yeah. He was just bigger, bigger than bigger everyone. Than everyone, you know. And so then, if yeah. I go to who influenced me and had a big impact on me when I was um, coaching in Ireland, would have been a, a gentleman called his name was John Bradley, but he was known as Bower Bradley in Irish football. And he, he passed away in August, not long after I flew out to Saudi Arabia. And um, so I was sad when I heard that news, but he was around, I first met him probably around 10 years ago and he was 70 years old, you know, and I, and I was doing a meet, I was having a meeting, I was um, director of football of a club in Dublin and this man was up front um, and visually, yeah, he was the oldest man there, but he was sitting there listening to everything. And he asked a question, that I liked, and then I went to the, the chairman at the end. Who is that guy? I'd like to meet him. Oh, well, he's the founder of the club. I says, it wouldn't be great if we can go into the office and have a cup of tea. He liked me, and I liked him. We immediately clicked. We spoke about football, and we enjoyed cups of tea, and I would go out, I'd, walking in the city, I would drive out to him, into his house, and have a cup of tea, and he loved making a sandwich and getting the biscuits out. <laughs> But what did I like? What did he have that I wanted? His knowledge of football was incredible. The, if he had the right opportunities, he would have been the best coach, uh, coach or manager in Ireland. But things were different then and then whatever else. Mm. But he he found so many players for Irish football, you know, without mentioning them. But they played for the senior national team. They played for Chelsea. And the players that he found played under Mourinho. He was the one that found that potential, that diamond, rough diamond, yeah. this guy found it. But it wasn't just that that I liked about him. I got on well with his person. But what I learned of him is he said to Michael, always know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> he says, if you're up there and you forget what you're saying, just forget what you're saying and go to something that you, you can talk about. Don't just ramble on. I remember him saying to me, and I'll never forget, he goes, we were in the meeting looking at someone else talking, and he nudged me like this and whispered in my ear, 
He says, look at your man there. He doesn't know what he's talking about. His eyes are rolling on his head. <laughs> he, he, he says, he's gone into a trance. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and, I, and I just nearly just going to start laughing. And he would bring that back, I'd, I'd say, about that meeting. And he'd always go, he goes, yeah, remember your man talking? He says, he didn't know he was looking up at the wall and his eyes were rolling around. He didn't know <laughs> And that's what I always then went back to that. And I've been in that situation where yeah. in rambling on, you get a mental block and the players are looking at you and you're there. What is he talking about? Yeah. So I accepted that. Yeah. It's so it's, it's, it feels like that's a lesson in humility yeah. or lack of ego where it's like, I'm not going to pretend yeah. for the sake of not looking like yeah, a fool. That's it. So they're the two boys, two people, Alex Ferguson and John Barrow Brad. Amazing. And just before we finish, um, is there anything uh, that you want to point the listeners towards? Anything you want to plug, or uh, you think people should be checking out? Uh, I'm assuming, I'm assuming the uh, Three Pillars book will be coming out in 2021. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we'll have got a chat. The material we, for the book <laughs> yeah, right we, there. We, we, we'll collaborate that and we we'll get that get that out. You know. <laughs> and we sell it in the Middle East. Well, yeah, yeah. If there's any, if, no. yeah. If there's anything you want the audience to know yeah, about, um, uh, um, uh, there is. A, there, I do have a project that, that I'm in the process of, of developing and being part of. It's called um, Lingua United, and what that is, it, it, it's a, it's a boy, bilingual project where we teach players um, football language in Spanish and English. So. Um, any coaches or players that are, say, from South America want to come to England, rather than just learning, mm. can I have a sausage and two eggs? They need to know when they come to the training ground that if I ask them, we're going to work on a tactical strategy, please go and get the hurdles because we're going to work on plyometrics. They need to know that I'm not there to teach them a language. They need to come in ready and ready to yeah. go. Same with a, same yeah. with a player. And a Spanish player coming in saying, right, we're working on pressure and cover. And when this player does this, you do that. And you press the ball. If I have to start explaining words, that's, that's time consuming. Yeah. So Lingua United. I was going to say, it's if, amazing. And is there, is there somewhere that people can check that yeah, out? It's on Instagram, uh, Lingua United. And it's, it's a website as well, um, Lingua United. So amazing. any coaches or players that are, looking to coach around the world, this will help them. Amazing. I'll put the links to those to those profiles yeah. to that site in the show notes. So anyone who's listening, uh, have a click down yeah. there, uh, particularly if you are a coach or a player and you want to get involved. Yeah. Thank you very much. And then last thing to say, Michael, is thank you so much for coming on. This has been this has been epic and will definitely be two episodes. Yeah, we're, we're, we're considering the time of the talk, we can just split into three. <laughs> you know, but look, that's good. When we have good conversations, you know, and good discussions, this is what yeah. us, we, we're creative people. This is what we want to talk about. These are the rooms we want to be in. We like we like to say it has it had the it had the juice. It had the juice, plenty of juice juice yeah. this is definitely a two liter bottle of juice uh for for, for me yeah. uh, I, I already learned so much just from just from this chat uh michael and i'll certainly be you know listening back to this one a couple of times and just taking some of those points in um and trying to use mm. them in my own mm. in my own coaching um you know because there's some real there's some real nuggets in 
in, in, in chatting to you and, and I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy man. So thank you so, so much. Um, and yeah, yeah. brilliant to chat. And thank you very much. Lovely. It was an honor to come on to your podcast and speak, which is, you know, so it's, it's, thank you very, very much. Really enjoyed it. I'm yeah. best to look with this project. Um, I've listened to a couple of the other podcasts. And it's great to be involved in something like this where creative people come together to share ideas and experiences. Wicked to have you. Thank you. Michael Moore there, uh, finishing off our epic conversation with him. Yeah, and we I think we joked maybe after the episode that this is basically a Lord of the, Lord the Rings. Of the, Lord of the Rings of, of There's No Way of there's, Podcast. Yeah, exactly. So who knows? You may be in you may be in for the uh third and final installment. Um I'm not a Lord of the Rings fan. Were they only three or did they do more? It depends if you count the Hobbit as part of as part of it. Yeah. Said someone <laughs> who definitely knows about it. <laughs> I said at the end of the last one, he's got a system and he's putting that system into place. Like he knows what he's talking about. I I I don't know. I half I half expected him to start plugging the you know the book that he's written on it because it's it's that clear. Yeah, and this is what I mean about people that have kind of like a plan and a vision are people you want to get on board with. You know, those people also need to be respectful and they need to treat you in a certain way within that team, um, which he spoke about. Um, But yeah, you want to kind of get on that bus, which, you know, I I use that kind of phrase quite a lot, but I, I think it's quite a good one. And so, yeah, I would feel comfortable that, if I was working for him or with him, I would feel at least he has a plan of action and he has a yep. method, you know, and if things need to be tweaked on that method and whatever, then I'm sure he's open to that. And, you know, he, he spoke a lot about feedback. So you'd feel well, yeah, as though you'd be able to talk to him about things. Mm. And it seemed like everything was about uh, kind of continuing development of yourself as a coach. As much as training the young people or training the players, it was about developing your own practice as a coach being open as you're going along to to recognizing something new that works or recognizing when something doesn't work yeah and i think he you know even sort of off off air so to speak um we we've had a couple of conversations where you know he is very much behind people that are trying to get to where they want to be who are trying to further their career who are trying to improve their knowledge um you know so he wants to be around those sorts of people you know and i I can relate to that because it's it's the same with anything if you hang around a bunch of friends who maybe aren't doing so much and aren't aren't very motivated sometimes you can fall into that trap and i think you know it's, it's happened to lots of us and if you go and work for you know, a highly motivated company and everyone in there is, is, is sort of bang on it. Uh, yeah. and they want to, they want to reach this, this end goal, this vision, then it's easy for you to jump on board with that. You know, the pro- exactly. The- we talked about, we talked about mindset. Yeah. Do I believe that winning is possible? Yeah. Do I believe that? And, uh, you know, in our intro, we talked a little bit about the changes that are happening in the world as far as, as far as teams and as far as people are going, and 
one of the reasons that people still do protest or try and change these huge systems that feel impossible to change is because there is a mindset that they have learned that it is possible to change things for the better or that 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 in a team situation that winning could happen uh, if i do these things and that that mindset building seemed integral to what he was what he was doing and what he was talking about definitely and again as i said i think when when you do have a kind of a main aim or a vision which in sport can be quite easy because it mm. can be winning that league you know finishing in this position in the table um you know sometimes i think for more corporate business obviously yeah. it can be monetary but sometimes you know but like not everyone's working in that business where money is their main driver because they don't they don't get that money back they're not you know they're earning their wage it, yeah exactly but but the the top companies and the, and the extremely well-run companies are the ones where the person on 30 grand a year when the boss takes home how much and the company makes X amount is still on that train of wanting yeah. to make money for the company because they believe in what that end goal is, what yeah. that vision is. It goes is. back to uh, Simon Sinek yeah. and his his finding your, your, your why. why. Yeah, yeah. And if you've got a collection of people and you're constantly reminding yourselves, we got into it for this reason, we got into it for this reason, this is why we're doing it. Uh, and that's why I really then, that, that's sorry, Mark. That, that's why I really liked the vision reminders. Yeah, you know, from from, exactly. from part one because the you know I've never really heard someone say that we need to like regularly remind ourselves of the vision. Yeah, you, you know, you get told it maybe at the beginning of the year. This is what we want to set out to do, and I've been guilty of putting out that presentation at the beginning of the year, thinking I've got all my kind of ducks in a row. We're going to say this, you know, once. And, and then that you, being the only time you say and it. And that be the only time I say it. So those visual reminders are really key. And, you know, as you say, that why um, is is huge. And, you know, Simon Sinek's become, become a huge deal because he's kind of really tapped into understanding the importance of asking people what your why is and if you don't know which many of us don't especially professionally speaking then i think you know i'd advise people to go check out check out that book um and just have a little look around that kind of subject matter because it can you know help you a lot of the time people change careers in their 30s 40s 50s and find out what they actually want to wow, do i have done myself yeah you know, so about once every five years, you have that existential crisis where you go, "Why, why did I, why did I take this job?" Or yeah. how did I find myself here? Well, it's funny. Um, we were talking about me just kind of checking in with my LinkedIn account, uh, which which has needed a freshen up, and which I've kind of not been uh, not been on top of um, last last couple of years, to be perfectly honest, because I've been I've been in in the same job. Um, but if you look at my experience, it kind of goes five years, four or five years sports marketing. And then it jumps into me, you know, working in a school. Coaching and education. You know, yeah. Coaching and education. Um, so I coached all the way through that that process, you know, the last 10 years, um, even, even with the sports marketing. But it's very, it's very funny that a lot of my connections and things like that are from a completely different industry, you know, that over the last five years, I've been nowhere near. 
And for the next five years, podcasting and, and uh, podcasting, and, yeah, and, and helping uh, Elon Musk to uh, you know to get to get that rocket in, in into uh, into space. No, I'm joking. So that yeah, that was Michael Moore, a, a massive chat. Really, really pleased to have him on, and I'm sure that we will speak to him again because the guy's got loads and loads to say. Uh, I hope so. Couple of things. Couple of things before we go. The first. Sean, if you'll uh, allow me, I wanted to uh, plug a podcast that I am involved in that has started this week. That is another one where it's just, you know, I found this super fun and talking about teams is one area i find i'm passionate about another area i find i talk a lot about is movies so i've teamed up with another friend uh you will remember him from episodes three and three four, and four yeah. uh charlie Pennell, and we've put together a podcast called my movie minute where we talk about some of the moments in specific films that are huge that are really important to us uh, i'll put a link to that in the show notes but if you are a movie fan or if you just want to find out a little bit more about me or charlie uh you can go and check that out it's a it's a fun one slightly different vibe uh, so does that mean your third podcast will be an amalgamation of film and teams <laughs> to, to, i think to my, build third, the my third podcast, podcast will probably be a cheeseburger review <laughs> awesome i'm there <laughs> Uh, yeah, so check that out if you fancy it. It's another one. Uh, I'm really enjoying this podcasting process. And while we are still slightly remote, it's a really nice way to catch up with uh, your mates. Uh, anything you want to add, Sean? Just looking forward to our next couple of episodes. Um, I'm very much someone that likes to have a start, middle and end process. And so I'm going to get a lot of joy out of finishing kind of season two of of those next 10 episodes and, and hopefully get a, a slight sell uh a slight sense of accomplishment from that yeah. uh before we look to to put together season three hopefully um but yeah no Where I, we may even be recording in the same room as one another yeah i mean mark is a man of crazy ideas so that <laughs> that may well happen at some stage <laughs> Uh, looking forward to the next couple of episodes tying off this set of uh, episodes taking a taking a little break and then coming back if you have anyone you want us to talk to do send it in uh, at no I podcast on the various social medias you can probably find Sean on LinkedIn now as well uh, Sean Gallagher on LinkedIn and uh, you can email us both Mark or Sean at noipodcast.show subscribe on your various uh places that you listen to podcasts or follow if you're on spotify and and this is a favor we can ask of you if you like what we talk about and you think someone else would be interested share your podcast recommendations to your mates let them know how to find us too because uh we had a little spike in listeners and oh it made me excited so let's keep that going that's all for that's all for this week though we'll see you next week uh, last thing to say is goodbye from Sean goodbye and goodbye from me goodbye you must be like the wolf pack teamwork yes